Hey, welcome to the CMO Whisper Show. I'm your host, Steve Olensky, part marketing practitioner, part ad agency veteran, part journalist. I was a writer for Forbes for 10 years. I've had so many insightful conversations over the years with business leaders, to athletes, to celebrities, to, of course, CMOs. The only difference now is instead of sharing those insights through written form, I'm doing it this way. My guest this week is Alan Bethke. For over 20 years, Alan has served in various roles for Subaru of America, including his current role as SVP of marketing, where he's responsible for all marketing, brand strategy, media planning, creative, customer experience, corporate comms, and on and on and on. Now, before we get to my highly interesting conversation with Alan, here's a little tidbit about the brand itself. In 1967, the same year Subaru opened its first office, the Beatles released All You Need Is Love. And if you know anything about the Subaru brand, the word love plays a major role. Here's my conversation with Alan Bethke. Alan, welcome to the show. Yeah. Hey, thanks so much, Steve. It's great to be here. That's a pretty cool connection, by the way, all the way back there, 67. Pretty cool. Yep, exactly. Exactly. So we first met when I was at Forbes around 2017, and I, I did a piece on the brand, and I'd like to go back in time and then back to the future kind of thing and share some thoughts that you shared in 2017 and then kind of put them in the 2024 context. So one of the things you said back then was, Amid all, all of our success, there are still consumers who lack familiarity with the Subaru brand. Bring us up to speed. How would you say that now in terms of familiarity with the brand? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And, and I think the answer that was true back then is still true today. Uh, Subaru has come a long way in the United States. We've been in the U.S. for about 57 years, uh, more or less. And in that amount of time for the first uh, almost four decades, 40 years, Subaru was a 1% brand, uh, basically off the radar. And in the last mm, 15 to 17 years, roughly speaking, we've come from being a 1% brand to now a 4% brand. So back in 2017, we were probably, you know, two and a half or something like that. We're now at 4%. So we've had a lot more growth uh, in the last seven years. Subaru's continued to grow and take market share in auto, uh, but we still got a long way to go, as they say. Mm -hmm. Exactly. One of the other things you said, get back to 2017, was you said the consumer mindset is evolving, especially within the millennial generation. Yeah. And, and this was a quote, as the largest generation in American history, they will affect the auto market in terms of product and technology preference, as yeah. well as their expectations for the shopping, buying and servicing process. Now, two part question. How's the millennial today? But then now we also have seven years later, Gen Z yeah. getting to the car buying age. So yeah, kind of yeah. compare and contrast the millennials, Gen Z in terms of car buying. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. So the first thing is, you know, seven years later, the millennials are really strong in terms of not only their numbers, but their purchasing power in our country. And they're really within the car buying age, especially for Subarus. We don't sell too many cars to people who are 20 years old, but we sell a lot of cars to people that are 30, 40, 50, and, and even a little bit older. And millennials are, you know, right in the smack dab middle of that 30 something. And they're really coming into their own purchasing and buying power. And so connecting with them on what they want and 
uh, how they want to buy cars is really important. And Subaru has been very focused on that in terms of what we do and how we do it. Also, the products that we're selling. And Gen Z, you're not really seeing that enter the market yet, right? Well, you know, for us at our brand, they're coming into just starting to be buying cars, but not nearly to the scope and scale of what the millennial generation is. Of course, Gen Z is very important, kind of grew up online, (laughs) grew up with technology, their expectations of what they want and how they want it, again, are different. But in the in the car market, that's still a, a generation which is really not fully shown its buying power yet, just because of their age. Of course, they buy a lot of phones and electronics right. and everything else, of course. Right. And they, they really are, you know, the obvious is they're your future buyers. Of course. Yeah. Exactly right. And and we do try to understand that what makes these different generations or make these generations different from each other, but also as generations age. You know, people change. People become more practical. How they think, what they care about changes over time. The resources that they have, their family and life situation changes over time. And so even though you might be a millennial, as an example, uh, a millennial generation at age 20 versus a millennial generation at age 50, those people might think about things a little bit differently. And we see that in the car buying process. Exactly, exactly. I want to go back to the previous question real fast. The the consumers who lack familiarity with the Subaru brand, and, and you yeah. said it's still fairly prevalent. Can you break it down, though? Is it is it more amongst the younger generation that lack the familiarity? Actually, our familiarity at the, at the brand level, national level, is actually pretty good now at Subaru. So our market share is lower, but our familiarity is pretty good. Our excellent opinion is excellent. <laughs> And people considering Subaru is way higher or way stronger than our actual sales rate. But but at Subaru, our product lineup, what we offer and the price points that we offer is a little bit more narrow than some other automakers. So, for example, we don't sell pickup trucks, as an example. And that's uh, a huge part of the United States market. So we're not competing for that customer. So I think our familiarity in general has been increasing and is pretty good. Our excellent opinion, like I mentioned, is excellent. And in our share of where we compete is actually quite strong. But our total share is 4% because, again, we're not selling things like pickups. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Speaking of technology, which you just referenced, in 2017, you told me you thought there was change coming. This is going to tell you how fast things change, by the way. Change coming in some areas, including more media consumption to digital, including mobile, right, which is expected to continue. And you also said you thought technology is also going to allow more individualized and personalized communications to reach consumers, appropriate message, appropriate time, all based on data. Now, yeah. of course, seven, seven years later, mobile has become ubiquitous, as says digital. So, and I, I cannot ask a question about technology, Alan, without bringing up what I call the elephant in everybody, every marketer's room, which is AI. Mm-hmm. So kind of give us the purview of technology, customer experience, AI, you know, how are things moving? How has it changed in those seven years? Yeah, it is an interesting question. So uh, seven years ago, certainly how we're communicating with consumers was evolving, as you mentioned, through digital platforms and digital technologies, of course, Phones and mobile became kind of the predominant player with how people are consuming media. And, and that's accelerated since that time frame. 
One thing that's really changed in the last seven years is the amount of technology in vehicles and how that technology is being used with data to help communicate with consumers. So I'll give you an example. Back in the day, you might have had a radio in your car. First, it was an 8-track or it was AM, FM, stereo. Then it was 8-track and then it was cassette and then it was CD player. And then it at some point became a touchscreen in your vehicle. And that touchscreen was a new type of technology, not dissimilar from your phone. And then a lot of phone functionality came into your vehicle. And that screen and that technology now allows the car to communicate with the customer in what we call the in-car experience, meaning when you're driving it and how you're using the vehicle and also the out-of-car experience. So on your phone, you're going to have an application that allows you to control the car through your phone to lock it, unlock it, turn on the lights, turn on the horn, turn on the heating and air conditioning or other things as well. Some cars have self-park functions through your phone. You don't have to be in the car. So the, the amount of technology that's come into the car and how we're using that technology with consumers, not just from a communication standpoint, but from a, uh, a livability standpoint, how does technology make living with your car more interesting, better for your life? That That has completely changed in the last seven years. Mm-hmm. Where does AI fit into all this? Well, you know, for us, we want to be careful with data and we want to be careful with technology and what we're sharing with people and and how that technology is used in vehicles. And so we want to be careful with that. We do know from our owners that that they want technology and data to be used for their benefits, but not really shared you know, outside of their ownership cycle, you know, it, if it can benefit them, then that's good. But, but our owners, and I think a lot of owners in general with automotive have some hesitancy to how data and how IT and information AI could potentially be used. Yeah. It's there's, you know, there's generative AI. There's all, we don't even, I tell people we can't even see the iceberg, let alone the tip of the iceberg when it comes to yep. AI and all it's, you know, effects it's going to have on everything, not just marketing. Right. Let me pivot here to, you know, it's the, it's the ultimate question about how do you differentiate yourself, right, in a crowded and competitive industry, which surely the auto industry is. And I want to ask you specifically about the brand, but then agnostic of the brand, because I want listeners to hear your thoughts, just how marketers and brands can differentiate. But how does Subaru, you know, stand out in that crowded and competitive industry? Yeah, we, we, we talked about it just a little bit towards the beginning that th- this industry, like you mentioned, is incredibly crowded. I, I think there's roughly about 32 different automotive brands in the United States. And, and those 32 brands sell, the numbers always change, but call it 240, 250 different models. So there's a lot to choose from. It's very crowded. It's very competitive. And, and for a long time, uh, Subaru basically followed everybody else. This industry specifically is kind of a follow the leader, follow the pack. It's a pack mentality. And, and basically most brands kind of go to market the same way. They, they've got a, a product and they try to kind of rationally push the product on the consumer by using kind of common ingredients, low price deals and discounts, come in and get it now Mine's got more features than theirs has got, and my specifications better than theirs. I can tow more; they can tow less. It's it's that kind of traditional trappings, if you will. And 
and, and Subaru for a long time followed that. And, and then uh, around 2008, uh, after having not have that work for a long period of time, we went out by ourselves, contrary to the industry, and, and started talking not about rational things, not about specifications or price or deals or discounts. We went out and started talking about what we thought really identified Subaru, and that was a, a feeling, and a feeling that came from the ownership of our car, and that was and still is completely different than any other automotive brand out there in the United States. And, and that was the beginning of the love campaign. And, and so for us, finding a space to compete on Subaru's terms was something that made us different and special in a genuine way, not a made up way, in mm -hmm. a genuine way was really uh, the, the, the start to the change of our company in terms of our kind of future business. So you said something interesting there too. You stayed, you know, you stayed within the Subaru parameters, if you will. Yeah. But you still, but then you found that unique selling point, which I don't mean, I don't mean that to sound in a bad way, but you basically touched on people's emotions and feelings, which is brilliant. Yeah. And it was really something that, it, that it's not a complicated idea. Mm -mm. But, but when you think about 32 other brands weren't doing it, and these are some of the biggest brand players around. You have all of the domestic brands that are historically large and, and big and, and important and huge market share and all of those things. You have a lot of import brands from Japan and Europe that are also big and strong. And, and then you had Subaru, which at that time was a 1% brand. It's, it's a David versus Goliath story where we were trying to compete with them on their terms head to head, but all of our resources were much smaller than what they had, every bit of them. And, and so how, how could you find a David versus Goliath story to compete on a way that could work? And, and for us, that was identifying what made Subaru truly special. And again, the beginning of the love campaign. Uh, an analogy I'll, I'll use is, and if, if you're a sports fan out there, you'll know, you know, the NFL was known as owning a day of the week, right? They own Sunday, right? To me, Subaru owns the word love. Yeah, it's a, it's amazing to hear you say that. And, and we do actually see some examples of that. You know, when we first started with the love campaign, there were, there were only a few people, really, honestly, at that time. I was here at that time. I was a part of those conversations. There were only a few people, really, that ever thought that this could amount to anything because it was so different, so unique, so contrary to how automotive was sold at the national and local level at, at dealerships. But now here, 17 years later, I think if you do ask a lot of people, what does Subaru stand for? The reaction is going to be sometimes about our product. Oh, they've got great product. It's it's safe. Right. It's long lasting. It's, it's adventurous and capable. It's those kinds of answers. And then another answer. Yeah, that's the love brand. And it's amazing to think that in 17 years, a brand that was a 1% brand, could now have 17 years later, basically that earned reputation. And I, I, I'm really proud of Subaru for coming that far. What's a well, lesson then, Alan, to other marketers from Subaru's success? I, I would say two things. First of all, find your true identity. That's that's easy to say and maybe harder to find, but, but try to identify what does really truly make you unique. And then on top of that, 
I think consistency. We've been incredibly consistent, I believe, in the last 17 years with love. Now, love and our love campaign has dynamically grown. It has dynamically expanded and changed. It means so much more today than it did seven years ago when we last spoke. It means way more than it did than when we started it 17 years ago. So it, I don't mean to say it's a stagnant thing. The love campaign is a dynamically growing and expanding thing. What love stands for, what we do and how we treat people, how we treat our communities, all of that has grown a lot. But what we've been along the way is consistent. And I think that's a key for any marketer. Find what makes you special and unique and be consistent, especially as a small brand. I kind of use an analogy of like we're putting pennies in the bank with the love campaign. Every time we talk about love, we're just adding to the equity that we have around it. And in over 17 years, that amounts to something, one penny at a time. It strikes me too as, you know, I happen to think humans in general overthink and overcomplicate things. I think marketers take it to a whole new level. Mm-hmm. And you're the you're the the brand's the opposite. You didn't overthink it. You didn't overcomplicate it, and you just stayed with it. And the rest speaks for itself. Yeah, thank you. And and, and I, I would say this, you know, when when you find an idea, there's going to be a lot of doubters. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a lot of naysayers, and and that is going to happen for quite a while. Especially the more unique the idea is, the more differentiated it is, the more that you're going out you know, in a, in a new and special, different direction. And, and so you do need to try to find the way to weather those storms until you have some momentum that others can see. And once you start to pick up some momentum, then some people start to ask themselves and look around like, hey, what's going on around here? Right. <laughs> is, is this actually working or what, what, what are the factors at play? What something's changing and getting better? And why is that? taking place. And so we, we have some history with that, but that would be another thing to think about is, is in trying to find consistency, how you got to maintain it through the bumps in the road. Yeah. I could just imagine the internal, when you made that pivot from the quote, rational marketing to emotional marketing, there had to be a lot of eyebrows raised. You know, there are a lot, we have a lot of stakeholders in our company, as you can imagine any company does. We, we have a parent company, they're Japanese. We've got our kind of, you know, executives here at, at the headquarters. We have our field sales teams and we have our Subaru franchises, which we call Subaru retailers. Uh, we don't refer to them as dealerships. We call them Subaru retailers. And, and all of them are important stakeholders in the brand and the success and the momentum and the sales and everything that's going on with our franchise and our business. And so, Yes, they all had opinions, and that's probably another long story. But there, there, there weren't too many of them that thought at the time, at least, this is a really good idea. But they, they do now, and and so we we've come full circle. Yeah, it, it's just so many brands still to this day, not even within the auto industry, just anywhere. It's just don't get the value of of touching emotions. I mean, I've I've done work with a company called System One Group, and it's an ad testing platform, and. Everything is based on emotion, how someone responds emotionally to a given stimulus. And yeah. it's, it's, it's extremely predictive. Yeah, for, for us, we like emotion. And, and we didn't do emotion for a, a long number of years. But, but you know, when you're dealing with love at, at, at Subaru, that idea came from our owners. It didn't come from us. It's, it's actually been true for as long as we've been making cars, like our owners were using that word to describe their relationship with their Subaru. And so 
we, we just found it, we identified it and we unearthed it and we mined it. And, and over time, you know, that emotion and how we connect with people has dynamically changed. You know, it started kind of with the car in the beginning. I love my Subaru. That's what Subaru owners would say back then. And they still say that today. So it's about loving the car. But over time, we've we've grown it to, to include things like we call the Subaru Love Promise, mm-hmm. which are community commitment activities, or the Subaru Share the Love event, which is our year-end sales event. All of those things are kind of based on love, but it's not love of the car. It's love of our company and what we do and how we do it to be more than a car company, to be something bigger and special. And there's a lot to talk about there. That yeah. falls under that, you know, you're changing these longstanding perceptions with the industry, Right where the traditional heretofore what automotive was the big year-end sales event, right? You went away from that. You did Subaru share the love, right? And you also, you know, you're more than a car dealer, you know, being more than a car company, right? It's the love mm-hmm. promise. And, and you touched on the community commitments. Mm-hmm. Talk, you know, take a little bit and share with us, you know, that I can only imagine, oh my gosh, the within the industry that, what do you mean you're not doing a traditional year-end? Everybody does traditional, right? And you went yeah. against the grain. Yeah, you're exactly right. So that was back in 2007. And you're right. Every it's really starts in November now, but historically December. Now it's it's bled into November. You you see car companies advertising their year end sales event and and everyone does it. And and you have the traditional ingredients of automotive companies. You know, you're probably going to see some bows on cars and Santa and holiday music and lights and all of the kind of stuff. And uh, then you're on top of that going to see some big discounts come in. We got $10,000 off. We got 0% financing for 84 months and another 2000 on top of that and all of these things. And, and that really gets back to the traditionalness of the industry. Everyone follows each other. Uh, they use kind of similar creative, a similar message and similar tactics of, of dropping price and trying to kind of get customers to come in and buy a car before December's over. And and we used to do that too. And then in 2008, at the beginning of Love Campaign, we made a recommendation internally to make a totally different, never been done before kind of sales event in automotive. And what we did is we said, when you buy a Subaru, you're going to get a great car you can love. This is at the beginning of the Love Campaign. And at this time of the holidays, you can help other people that need help and give back to others. And this is the time to do it because it's the season of of giving. And that became the very first Subaru Share the Love event. And we decided to give away for every Subaru we were selling $250 to the customer's choice at the time of five national charities. And the customer could choose whichever charity they wanted. They could split up the money between the five. And then they could get a great car that they could love and they could feel really good that Subaru donated money on their behalf to one of these charities or a combination that they wanted to help. And in that very first year, we gave away about $4 million, which for us at the time, back in 2007, when our company was really struggling, a $4 million donation in a six-week period was a lot of money for Subaru. And now fast forward, we've been doing it for 16 years. And uh, now in 16 years, Subaru and our retailers have donated $285 million, $285 million to national charities. And now we have something we call hometown charities, which are 
local retailers select one or two charities right in their backyard, ones that are really local. And now the customer can select either the national charity or the hometown charity or some combination. And, and you know, this is kind of where I mentioned the, the penny analogy before. We started with a $4 million donation. And now 16 years later, we're at $285 million. And, and it's just made an unbelievable difference to people and communities that that desperately need help. And we're, we're glad to do it. You know, you just reminded me of something I saw. It was some research. It might have been within the last year about how a lot of brands are involved in a lot of philanthropic endeavors, but a great number of them are leery of promoting their involvement. Mm-hmm. And, and I think the research, the majority of it, for fear of the perceptions from the public that, you know, they're just making themselves look good, things like that. And to that, I just say, there's nothing wrong with with being proud of what you've done and given back. And Subaru's always done that. Yeah, I think you're right. For, for us, we want to take action first. And when I mean take action first, we want to make good happen. And when we're dealing with charities, which we are, these charities want and need awareness. They want and need to be known. They want and need donors. They want and need money and support and visibility, all of these kinds of things. So when we work with these charities nationally and then locally, we have so many local charities with our retailers that they work with and so many love, promise, community commitment efforts on different topics that, that, that Subaru and our owners care about. These charities get what they need from Subaru, the, the support, the visibility, the resources, and it's a great way to, to help them and also make a difference at the same time. Exactly. I mean, I, like I said, and then there's whole, the whole greenwashing thing, which I won't get into, but that's also a concern for a lot of brands. And, and the consumers, look, the consumers, I always say marketers don't give consumers anywhere near the credit. They know, they know what's happening. They're a lot smarter than a lot of marketers think. I really believe mm-hmm. that. We try to be very straightforward and honest with what we do. And, and, you know, over these years, we've we've donated a lot of money to a lot of different topics. We've done a ton of volunteer hours nationally and locally through our retailers. We're adopting pets out of Subaru showrooms. We're adopting pets at auto shows. Wow. We're delivering blankets to hospitals. We're giving teachers that are underfunded in classrooms money so that they don't have to pull money out of their own pockets to buy school supplies for kids that don't have money to buy school supplies. There's just so many examples of where we try to take our time, take our people, donate those things and and make a difference. Yeah. Hey, looking back at your career, is there one person who's had the biggest impact and why? Oh, that's a wonderful question. I I, I could tell you along my career, I've worked at three different companies, um, two in auto, one outside auto. Uh, I worked in sales related jobs and marketing related jobs. And, And for me, there's been wonderful people that I've had the pleasure of working around and for through those careers. And I I really do fundamentally believe like you can always learn from others. And and I remember, you know, certain touch points through my career where I just tried to absorb what I saw somebody else doing that was highly successful at their craft. Hmm. So early in my career, I I, I was in sales in a different industry and and I was being mentored by the the top salesperson in the company and and how he did it and what he went about it, how he went about it was really just exceptional. And so I I try to emulate that 
And, and when I came to automotive, you know, I found somebody that was in marketing and, and I looked at them kind of as a younger person who wanted to, you know, have a career in marketing. I looked at them with googly eyes and said, wow, look what they're doing and how they're doing it. I wish I had that ability. And, you know, then there's been others, you know, Tom Dahl, who was the, the president of Subaru for many years, how he led our organization and what he cared about and how he led the employees and uh, found a wonderful balance of trying to sell a lot of cars, of course, because that's a business that we're in. But how do we go about doing that? So there's been a lot of people along the way, but I, I just tried to keep my eyes open, keep my ears open, look for who is doing certain things really well and, and, and try to see where I can learn. Yeah. I, every time I ask that question or when I talk to people, I'm always reminded there's a, I think it was Steve Jobs who said, if I'm ever, if I'm ever the smartest person in a room, I, I'm in the wrong room. Mm -hmm. And that's yeah. like, that's how I apply things as well. Yeah, I agree. Okay. So I know that you people listening can't hear that. I uh, see this. I mean, but behind me is my now becoming more and more famous album wall very eclectic music fan and music's played a big role in my life and my favorite song of all time is a song called lean on me by bill withers and the lyrics have always resonated with me and and i want to ask is there a song is there a group is there an album is there a concert a lyric that sticks out to you oh my goodness that is a wonderful question i also like music now I'm going back in the I'm I'm going back in the way back clock. So <laughs> the very first concert I ever went to was a Tom Petty concert, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, back in Ohio. I was in high school and I went with a few friends of mine and my parents, you know, let me go fortunately and we had a fantastic time and uh, had some fun. So I grew up with some of, you know, kind of 70s rock, quite a few Pink Floyd concerts back in the day. I went to, and that was really enjoyable. And then as I grew up a little bit, I still follow classic rock, but I got into alternative rock. So kind of the grungy 90s when I was in you know, high school and uh -huh. picked up a lot of that kind of West Coast grunge stuff. So you know, I'd say kind of towards my favorite music would still be alternative. I do like some older music, Beatles, but, but alternative and classic and Beatles. Last thing. And this has to do with sounds as well. And I'm getting really interesting answers to this question. I want you to think about this. What does marketing sound like to you? That's a very interesting question. To me, what I think it should sound like is connection through emotion with somebody's heart. Hmm. To resonate with them inside their body and hopefully with their heart. And that's what we try to do at Subaru. If you can connect with somebody, doesn't matter what they see. We, we run a lot of our advertisements without showing the car. Think about that for a second. Mm -hmm. The one thing that we're selling, we're not showing. So we're trying to connect with people about the kind of company that Subaru is, the kind of retailers that our, that our dealerships are, the kinds of things that we care about. And and if we can build a connection with them through their heart, then the other things come after that. You know, the mind comes after that, the, the pocketbook, the wallet <laughs> comes after that. So, so we want to connect through the heart. So I, I, I would answer it that way. I, I, I think verbally without a visual 
what does it sound like in, in my opinion, or at least at Subaru, something that connects with the heart. Well, listen, this has been an amazing conversation. We can't let seven years go by again till we talk. I cannot thank you enough, Al, for, for coming on my show. It's it really been my pleasure. Thanks for allowing me to be here. Thanks for allowing us to chat a little bit about Subaru. And I'll, I'll think about that lyric question. So the next time we talk, I'll have an answer for you. Fair enough. Thanks again, Alan. Well, that wraps up another episode of the CMO Whisperer Show. I hope you shared this episode with your friends. And if you have not already, please subscribe to be kept up to date on all the latest episodes. And if you're so inclined, leave me a review on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you. 